Hey, y'all. It's Jim Gallagher. Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. Looking forward to today's podcast uh, guest. It's Steve Burkowski from the Golf Channel. He's been with them since 2000. Currently serves as host in the studio, a reporter for Golf Central, Golf Central Live. Uh, he's done Corn Ferry Tour events over the years. He is an expert, yes, an expert in the college golf, uh, both on the men and women's side. Uh, you see him on all the college golf uh, tournaments that the Golf Channel does. He and Brentley Romine have a podcast called College Golf Talk. Uh, you can check them out, uh, and he's just done an incredible job over the years. He is a Florida Gator, but we're going to have him on anyway. But seriously, I uh, can't wait for everybody to get to know Steve Burkowski a little bit better, and, uh, and uh, let's get him on the line. Well, I promised Steve Burkowski, and I've got him. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Jim, thank you, my friend. It's been a while. We've been talking about it, trying to get our schedules aligned, and lo and behold, we find a... Uh, February morning when we can get the job done. Absolutely. So, uh, always good to catch up, my friend. I'm not going to lie. I've got my Tennessee hat on, but you told me you don't have any Florida stuff on. But we get along. We're we're good buds, so we don't have a problem. Exactly. We're, we're deep SEC roots, but it's uh, it's been fun. I work with you on the college stuff and then studio. It's always great. You're, so, you're knowledgeable. Your knowledge is just incredible of all the things. I don't know how you do it, but uh, let's get a little background on you. Everybody knows you from Golf Channel and, and all the stuff you do there. Let's get a little background on you. Your dad – great athlete at Redkers, your wife, a great athlete, Michigan. Just tell us a little bit about the background and some of uh, the stuff uh, with your family growing up. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, the pride of the Garden State. It's not a, as bad of a place as people think. They <laughs> land in Newark Airport and they say, oh, Jersey, it's a dump. It's not. It's <laughs> no. really good. Loved, loved growing up there uh, 18 years. Uh, as you referenced, my dad was uh, – uh, a great athlete at Rutgers, um, MVP of the football team back in 56. So, uh, you know, enjoyed growing up in the, the Northeast, played a ton of sports. I mean, that's the, the thing that's so different now, Jim, uh, living in Florida, my boys, seven and nine there. It seems like they play everything continuously where growing up in New Jersey, you had your, for me, I had soccer in the fall and basketball in the winter and golf, uh, in the spring, it was it was more calendar set uh, from from what I recall. But uh, had a blast and had uh, a decent high school career. I I'll, I'll, I'll own it because only I uh, I caddied for my nine year old Luke at a U.S. Kids Junior event this past week. Uh, had an absolute blast. Was so proud of him. Handled everything well. Played well for a kid that plays five sports. Uh, there's not a lot of time uh, on the range for him, but uh, I always share with him in New Jersey, when we had high school tournaments, sometimes you would play some city school that mm -hmm. really had no golf background. Maybe they had five clubs in a bag and to keep things going, there was a 10 shot limit just to, Hey, let's have some fun. And if you can't handle it, we'll keep moving on. And God's honest truth, my very first hole of high school golf, I never made it to the green and had already picked up. <laughs> you I did. Ten shots. I was so nervous. I was not very good. And I can close my eyes and see that first hole at Ashbrook, and I was in my pocket. Um, fast forward my senior year, we uh, were fortunate to win the conference championship. Uh, I was uh, the individual medalist in that conference uh, championship back in 1990. So 
I don't say it because I was any good. I'm proud of what I was and what I became because I could have easily said this sport's not for me. And I just found a way to get better and yeah. get better. And was, you know, was it, was a decent golfer coming out of New Jersey. Um, had these silly aspirations. I had Michael Jordan syndrome of <laughs> you don't want me. I'm going to show you want me. Uh, and I went to the university of Florida. Now quick step back. I always wanted to be a sportscaster. Did you really? Whenever, okay. Oh yeah. When I was 12 years old, my grandfather's still with us. I said, uh, what do you have to do to be a sportscaster? He's like, well, you go to college, you major in journalism, et cetera, et cetera. I knew that moment in fifth or sixth grade, what I was going to do, or at least what I thought I was going to do. Um, long story short, you look at schools, could have played at small schools, looked at Syracuse, 110 inches of snow, no thank you. <laughs> Go to the University of Florida, top 10 journalism program. They were uh, the number one team in the country. I was on campus for less than a week, and I realized quickly I better go to school because I will never, ever play golf at this school or at a high level. They were, as you know, a completely different type of of athlete, of golfer. Um, Ended up becoming best friends with Brian Gay. We were roommates. I remember I'd shoot 73, he'd shoot 61, and I said, <laughs> "Okay, well, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go get a great degree, uh, and I'm going to learn a lot of things." And you know what? I left there a much better golfer really? because you got to hang yeah. around Brian or Guy Hill or Chris Couch or Kevin Hammer from the USGA now. These are these are guys that could shoot 68 blindfolded, which 30 years ago. You broke 70. You were playing really well. Yeah. Um, so I had my fun. Buddy Alexander, the longtime coach there, let me hang with them. I think he always believed being roommates, like get these kids out of bed, make sure they go to class, keep them eligible, uh, and, and you guys can have some fun. So I don't regret it for a second. Great relationships, great friendships. Um and going back to my grandfather's discussion, I was fortunate to leave UF with a journalism degree. And, um, you know, I, I say the rest is history because Buddy actually got me an interview. I graduated in December of 94. He got me an interview two weeks before the Golf Channel even opened. And Tom Stein, uh, the executive I met with, said, Stay in touch. We don't know if this is even going to work. I don't want to move you down here. Um, go get a job, and, and we'll see what happens. So I went to South Carolina, Columbia, for four and a half years. Sports radio was sort of taking shape and did stuff with the University of South Carolina. And I kept writing letters, Jim. Yeah. Four and a half years, I wrote letters twice uh, twice a year to the five executives at Golf Channel. And finally um, – in early 2000, they called and had interviews, and lo and behold, 23 years later, they can't shake me. Well, that's that, it's always it's great to hear those stories because people don't know. They always ask me, "How do you get in the business?" And I said, "I don't know." They handed me a mic. I started talking. You actually have a degree, and you actually understand it. Uh, but you mentioned something earlier that I'd love to talk about, and we talk about a lot on the air is multiple sports and kids playing multiple sports. And I know there's a point where you can't. You've got to kind of choose as you get older. 
What's your take on multiple sports and kids like our junior golfers listening uh, and for their parents listening? What's your advice on them uh, and playing multiple sports and excelling at golf as well? Play everything. Play everything. Uh, my, again, my nine-year-old Luke, flag football, lacrosse, soccer, basketball. Again, this was his first U.S. Kids Junior event in maybe two years. Not because he didn't want to. There just wasn't a lot of time, and it was at our home course. And I go down this road because we ended up getting paired with another nine-year-old who shot 35. Wow. If he makes anything, he shoots 31 or 32. And, hey, I'm proud of Luke. He shot yeah. 52. He made a nine on the first hole. He was nervous. He settled in. And, Jim, this kid, phenomenal player, literally hitting at 160 in the air, 170 in the air, nine years old. Wow. And Luke kept watching him and saying, Dad, this kid's good. I said, he sure is. And I said, hey, Peter. How much do you play? How much practice do you have with golf? And he said, oh, I practice three to four hours a day. Oh. And I looked at Luke. I said, we haven't practiced three to four hours in a year. Yeah. So I said, there's your, there's your answer. And I'm not saying they're doing it the wrong way. Right. I just feel like where are we going with a nine-year-old to, and even if he wants to do it, to do it three or four hours a day. You referenced my wife. Um as a great runner, you know, 25 years ago, she was the Tiger Woods of, of distance running, greatest female distance runner in the country. Mm. She, I defer to her. She knows what this all takes. And it's funny as we go to lacrosse or soccer or whatever sport our kids are playing. And we see some of those parents, Jim, we've all seen those parents. Oh yeah. And she always, she, she'll nudge me. She's like, should I tell them now how this is going to end up? Or should I let, let them see what's going to happen? Because she says it perfectly. You can do all the training, all the camps, all the activities you want. If it does not burn from within your child, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Well, and that's... this is somebody that's done it. And maybe wasting your time, that could be a bit bold. But you know what I mean. We see so many parents living through their kids or pushing their kids. Right. If the kid doesn't want to do it, it doesn't matter. We had basketball yesterday. He's like can we take a break from hoops? I said, absolutely. We've got lacrosse. We've got soccer. We don't need to be playing three sports, six days a week. I listened to my son. He enjoyed it. And he said he wanted to take a month or two off. So yeah, it's called, it's called, it's called burnout. We see it. We saw it in tennis for years where they're done at 25, but that leads me to the question that I always ask my uh, guess is what separates that elite athlete from the elite athlete? I think you kind of answered it, that burning sensation inside to be great. Uh, what would you be your answer to the elite? What separates that elite golfer? And you've seen it, you've covered them, uh, you've played against them. Uh, what would you say the elite golfer separates themselves from the, maybe the rest? I, I mean, for for years, having the chance to watch Jordan speak, and, and I wasn't around watching Tiger during his heyday. So he's obviously the exception, but I would watch Jordan Spieth when he was 14 and 15. I was both his junior amateur wins. And I would be like, goodness gracious, there's just something different there. And I remember, gosh, the second junior Amy wins outside of Seattle must've been 2011. And it was just me and a cameraman grabbing highlights, you know, doing some interviews 
and the second or third round match, Jordan, it just looked different, Jim. It was mm-hmm. these three-quarter chip shots. And I'm like, gosh, I wonder if he's hurt or what's going on. He wins. I interview him. He's 16, 17 years old. And then when we're done with the interview, I said, what in the world was that? He's like, what do you mean? He said, I said, what were these little butt shots you were hitting down the fair? And he's like, I knew on the range I didn't have it today, so I needed to find something to make sure I was going to win the match. That's special to me. The awareness of, okay, and we see it all the time, Jim. These kids want to cut corners, hit if you fired every flagstick. Jordan Spieth at that age knew I better find a different way to get around the golf course today because it just wasn't there. I had never seen a teenager do that, verbalize it, be aware of it. And I had been on the bandwagon for so long. I remember telling Frank Nabilo, uh, that 2011 Walker Cup team, everyone was like, who's going to be the star? Uline, Cantlay, English, uh, Patrick Rogers. The list goes on. I said, Jordan Spieth's the greatest teenager I've ever seen play golf. Wow. And then three years later, he's number one in the world that had won the Masters. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying it because, oh, look at me, I'm right. It answers your question of it's that intangible, that awareness of what is it going to take to get there? What is it going to take on this particular day? Um, you know, I go back to my wife, Kate, in high school. She lost the state championship 5,000 meters in Ohio by three one-hundredths of a second. Oh, gosh. She never, she never lost again. Mm. She said the feeling of losing made her so miserable she was going to do everything in her power to never lose again. 16-time state champ, four-time All-American in high school. And that same race as a freshman that she lost by three one-hundredths of a second, her senior year, she won by a minute and 46 seconds. There you go. That's elite. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it, it's just that how are you going to react to losing? What are you going right. to do when things are bad? I love Kate to death. She's like, I wanted nothing to do with team sports because I was not going to be dependent on success by the, uh, the performance of others, which, hey, it worked out for her. I believe team sports, uh, you can learn so much but she was wired differently. And I think the great ones are look at Gordon Sargent, what he's doing at Vanderbilt. Absolutely. Stroke average over 67. We saw him as a freshman. You can see it. They passed the eye test, but it's the insides. What makes the heart pump? How do you deal when things get tough? I, I think it's really the intangibles, uh, Jim, because they all, they all hit it a mile. They Mm -hmm. all play so well, but what are you going to do? When things are about to come off the rails, um, we, we saw it with Tiger. I saw it with Speed. There are so many others. Uh, but I, I would put the separation on just those things you cannot see. You've just got to have it. We all talk about it. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't have it, <laughs> but they think they do. Um, but it's, in my estimation, that's what separates the good from the great, the elite athlete the college golfer pick any sport uh roll up your sleeves roll yeah. up your sleeves get it done find a way and if you don't like the outcome and, and a lot of kids these days don't like losing you know mm-hmm. twitter is what it is jim and uh, <laughs> i'm mm. beginning to look at it less and less but you'll come across great follows where they said 
You know, I saw something recently. The greatest thing you can teach your child is how to lose, to oh, fail, yeah. and to set them up for a response, to have a conversation, because there are too many. Everyone gets the trophy. Everyone gets the medal. And when you're four and five, by all means, give everyone a trophy. Mm-hmm. But you need to understand life is about failure. Forget golf. We always laugh that, oh, Tiger lost 80% of the time, and he's one of the two greatest ever played. We all fail yeah. every single day. It's something, and it's this generation as a whole, as they paint a broad brush of, oh, okay, well, that's all right, or let's go to the portal. It didn't work out here. Let's go somewhere else. I think we're going to look back in 20 years and say, man, it's a generation of, you know, who are the people that succeed? The ones that truly just get after it, don't complain, and understand that, uh, you know, everything isn't going to go their way. Well, it's how you respond, and that's what coaches tell me when they're looking for players, when they're recruiting them. It's how they respond to – how they treat their parents, how they treat the people around them, how they respond to bad shots, uh, and, and how they rebound. Uh, that's part of the deal. As you said, in golf you lose more. I think one of the biggest challenges in college golf, and you mentioned Gordon Sargent, all these great individuals, it's a team. And I think that's the hardest thing for these guys that are so good – because golf's an individual sport, and I think that's where the team building earlier on in high school, junior high, helps these guys that come in there who have played on teams, and they adjust better when they get to college because it is technically a team event. Uh, I think the ones that didn't, they sometimes struggle with that because it's to be great, as I've always said, you have to be a little bit selfish, but when you go to college golf, you got to be a teammate, and I think that's one of the things uh, – you you mentioned you mentioned the portal and I think that's in every sport we're seeing it every time, every week. But you saw some guys like Chris Goderup go to Oklahoma. Success go what was it Rutgers? Uh, you know, the portal's been a big change and we're seeing it in college golf. And these coaches are having to pay attention to what's your you mentioned a little bit. What's your opinion on the portal? Uh, Goderup's a great example that I can live with it from the standpoint. He did his four years at Rutgers as a Jersey guy. I would have loved to see him stay there, but he blossomed. He played a, a, a bigger, bolder schedule going to Oklahoma. I'm okay with that. And let's be honest, this was always going to be happening. And then COVID, the pandemic, everything, get a bonus year. I'm just so – and I remember Ryan Hibble from Oklahoma, the men's mm-hmm. golf coach, said – it is going to become the wild, wild west. And that was three years, he told me. And, uh, and, and he was sort of right. And obviously, college golf is, I mean, we're talking about maybe 10, 12 kids max on most teams. But it's the college football, the college basketball, where, I, you know, a kid goes for a year. He's a five-star quarterback. And he's third string. He does it. Oh, I'm going to transfer. Yeah why you, you made a commitment no hey don't get me wrong there are situations maybe a coaching change something happens i'll i'll give the benefit of the of the doubt but i think i read something a couple of thousand college athletes if not just college football players entered the portal in the last two years yeah that's that, I, I think it's ridiculous in my opinion and and i'm an old school guy people will will lambaste me for not thinking ahead. But I was always under the premise of if you get a full scholarship to a great school, you won. 
Yeah. You won. They're making a commitment to you and vice versa. Now things have changed. I, I had a conversation with someone, obviously, as a Gator. You know, Tim Tebow. Could you imagine the millions Florida made off of him, his likeness? Whether you like him or not, you hate the Gators. He's a good guy. Great guy. He's a pretty good role model for parents to say, Tim Tebow does it the right way. So I get the whole likeness, name, image, but my biggest think is how can it be equitable for Tim Tebow and then the backup setter on the girls' volleyball team? No, that's going to be the problem. That's going to be the issue in the smaller schools in the in the, in their fan base. They don't have the cash, and it will separate. It'll separate everything. It is. It's the wild, wild west. Whether it's the NIL, and I, I don't have a problem with people doing it. I'm with you. There are circumstances where maybe it didn't work out, and they can transfer. But uh, for the most part, you got to kind of gut it out, and things things change. Coach, they may be, and I always tell kids when they're being recruited, when you're being recruited, they're serving you fillet and lobster. And when you get there, you may be serving it. So, I mean, it's kind of like that. That may be an extreme and a kind of a brutal way of looking at it. But they're recruiting you to get there. And things aren't always the same way as in the recruiting process. You don't always know. And I think that's part. And I think with these kids now, they talk, they text each other. They know what the coaches are like. They already know the background where when I was being recruited and even you talking about, you know, you, you're younger than I am. But still, we didn't have that access. It was a letter in the mail. We didn't have access. You know, you could call your buddies, but it wasn't like it is now where they have that instant uh, uh, togetherness and they can talk about things. And I think it's, it's, I think these practice facilities these, these schools are putting in are a big part of college recruiting in golf. Uh, what are some of the changes you've seen uh, just in the I mean, TV? What are some of the changes you've seen just in the last five or eight years of covering college golf uh, and where we are now from where we were five or eight years ago? Oh, it's phenomenal. And let me quickly button up the the transfer thing. It just jumped into my mind. Back in the day, you transferred. You sat out a year. Mm -hmm. And if you transferred within your conference, you sat out for two. That doesn't seem to be an issue anymore, kids. Brian Stark goes from Oklahoma State to to Texas, and he's playing. Right. That's not a knock on Brian Stark. Those are the rules these days. You're not giving them a reason to say, ooh, do I really want to do this and sit out for a year or two? Uh I'll end that at that. Um, The growth, I think you hit it. Uh, When you look at the facilities, when I talk to coaches and the kids, I've always heard, where are we practicing? Where are we playing? What does our schedule look like? So if it's the Demergence Center uh, at Illinois that Mike Small has created a Midwest monster, Um, and especially those colder schools, whether it's Michigan, Northwestern, Ohio State, they've got – boosters and donors giving millions of dollars. And that's magnificent. I've had a chance to see a handful of them. Um, So you can now theoretically recruit kids that, Hey, maybe it's cold, but we've got to set up that during those winter months, we're still going to be working on our game. Uh, Georgia always pops out to me. I remember 10, 15 years ago, seeing what they had done. And there were always rumblings that the week before the masters, Phil Mickelson, would go practice at the University of Georgia because they had three different types of, of grass and greens and, and, and similarities, uh, you know, as close as you could ever get to uh, Augusta National Golf Club. But that's what these kids want. I call mm-hmm. them kids because they're kids, and you and I are old. so <laughs> We can <laughs> call them that. that. But yeah, exactly. Um, that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago when I was in college. Or if it did, 
it was, you know, minute. I mean, look at what Oklahoma State built at Carson Creek, even though it's quote unquote not a university facility. It is. It, it, it's for the golf team, among others. And Carson Creek is you drive through that meandering half mile of trees and voila. How would you not likely become a better golfer by going to places like this? And we haven't even hit on the technology side no. of it. TrackMan, all these machines that look at spin rate, et cetera. It's, obviously, it's a good thing. I just feel like we, golf as a whole is getting inundated by the numbers of what's this and what's this and what's – I mean, Jimmy – you played in the Ryder Cup. You, you, you won multiple times out there. You probably looked at a book. You throw up a piece of grass sometimes, and you hit the shot. Yeah, and I think that's what we see even on the PJ Tour. They're using analytics, but they understand it. It looks. I look at it going like, whoo, if I had that much going on my, in my brain, I'd have some serious issues. But they've grown up watching it even from a young age. You mentioned also facilities. They've got putting greens. In the, that will move for changing the break. I mean, the money that they're being spent. But don't you think there's pressure now on coaches and even the teams to perform because they've invested all this money? Where in the past, I say college golf's a job. It's a full-time job. Uh, so the kids that are out there listening and they want to play, and I hope you do, and I hope you all make it, but it's not going to be as easy as you think. It's not going to be golden. It's going to be a hard job. But don't you think there's so much more pressure because of the, the investment these, these schools have made? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I mean, you know, go back to the days you were in college. I was in college. Like, hey, how'd we do? Oh, the golf team finished. Today. Oh, great. Good job. Now it's now you go to Greyhawk and you'll see athletic directors there mm-hmm. or associate athletic directors there. I never saw that 10 or 20 years ago. And there are multiple people uh, engaged in the program because you get to the highest level. You're looking at coaches that are making two, three, four hundred thousand a year, which is a really nice salary. No disrespect for a college golf coach. And I say that because it's a program that makes no money. Mm-hmm. Football su- supplies it all. So you're getting these schools committing in, in, I won't name names, but in some of the recent contract renewals or coaching changes, you're looking at coaches getting five, seven, maybe even a 10-year deal worth two, three, four million dollars. Break it down, there's how you get your two, three, four hundred grand a year. So that's not something we just snuff at anymore. It's like, okay, we're committing to you. We're going to commit to X amount to build the facility or help improve what's already there. So I feel like the leash is a little shorter. I think the changing of the guard is just about gone uh and it's no disrespect to the legendary guys that were at a lot of schools for 20 30 40 years um but they're pretty much gone it's the brennan webb at tennessee jc deacon at florida obviously mike small has built something there but you know when we were there it it was the guy that might have been uh a running back dick copas right at georgia he was it was like part football of the football coach. coaching staff, and they, yeah, and they said, "Oh, by the way, for an extra five grand, you can coach golf." Oh, no, sure. that's that's I true. Money. I mean, we won the SEC, and our athletic director did really good. That's great. Now, I'm not trying to pick on our old athletic director, but it was not important, uh, and it is. I think that's why we're seeing some great coaches. We're seeing guys that were phenomenal. You mentioned Ryan Hibble; he was an All-American. 
Uh, he was a great football player. His brother played at Oklahoma. I mean, we're seeing great coaches, and you mentioned a few with that are out there, these young guys. They were ex-players. Uh, they're coming in there. They're making some money, and good for them. But there's pressure on those guys to perform. Don't think there's not. Great, you're getting paid, but you're getting paid with some, with some pressures of performing with 18- to 22-year-old kids. Uh, but it is amazing how it's changed, good or bad. Uh, I, I just know that working out, I know watching two of my girls play, and I mention it every time, they're up at 6 o'clock in the morning, they're working out four or five days a week, they're going to class, they're coming back, they're practicing, they don't have a life, uh, they don't get to maybe enjoy the college life, and that's why uh, for my girls, I, I was hoping they would join a sorority to have a normal life. Uh, some coaches are against that. Uh, they want to be strictly 100% golf, but I still think, the kids have to be able to enjoy the life and behave, but enjoy the life and, and enjoy that experience of college uh, as well. But it's a full-time job for these guys and gals that are playing. And and I just think it's amazing to see where it is. And we mentioned, I mean, it's been years now they've been playing match plan. I remember they were against it, uh, some of them, because it, maybe it didn't separate those teams. But I, I think it's been exciting to watch the match play for the uh, national championship. Now we're seeing conferences doing it. What's been your opinion on that and how you think it's uh, – kind of evolved over the last few years yeah it's a game changer uh what do we go back to i think it's 09 for the men uh a&m and arkansas inverness first time i switched the match play so we're, we're we're coming up on almost 15 years of that we're almost a decade in for uh the women they made the transition in 2015 uh at concession when stanford won their first it 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 was the vision of many but every indication, Mike Holder, the longtime Oklahoma State coach who then became the athletic director, said, we need to change. If we want to grow this sport, hey, you know it, I know it, we love it. Mm-hmm. It's so hard for the casual fan to sit and say, okay, we're going to watch college golf for three hours. And Jim, Jim Gallagher is six under on the day, playing for Tennessee. He's bogey-free. And then he hits seven balls in the water on 18. And, oh, by the way, his score – but I say it because, oh, by the way, his score doesn't count anymore. Exactly. College golf, as people listening to your podcast, 98% of the tournaments, five players go, the top four scores count. So how can we engage a viewer to watch a guy, a gal, play over and over and over? And then let's just say, again, they, they hit the wall, they make 12, they're a non-counting score – the casual golf fan is going to be like, well, what do you mean they don't count anymore? Yeah, so true. Mike Holder and that group had the vision to say, match play. It's one-on-one. It's back and forth. And there was a lot of, well, this is not what we do all year. This isn't the best way to determine it. And I'll give Mike credit because making that switch cost Oklahoma State yes. two or three national championships because they had blitzed the field and stroke play and then either lost in the quarter, semis, or the final. So uh, does the best team always win? No, seldom does the best team win. And people will, oh, well, what do you think? And it's not fair. I said the same thing as March Madness. Yes. Kansas or Houston or Alabama is going to be a one seed. I can promise you they're probably not winning. That's what it is. And I think now 10-plus years in for the men, coming up on a decade for the women – they get it. And you alluded to the perfect fact. They're adapting, Jim. They're adjusting yep. conference championships, mimicking what they'll see at Greyhawk and the NCAAs. It's, uh, it's the evolution of the game. 
every coach has told me the first time the cameras show up or a microphone gets stuck in their face, the kids are like a deer in the headlights, but they don't realize the more they're around it, the better prepared they are if they want to play at the next level. And John Fields, longtime coach at Texas, has always said, you guys are on TV. We can get in the field. We are playing. Yeah. It is a wonderful chance to showcase uh, a program. And gosh, what do we have? 11 events this year on Golf Channel. We kicked it off at Pepperdine. We're headed to Hilton Head in a few days for the Darius Rucker. So it, it's it, I, 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 I hesitate to say it, but it's mainstream now. At least on our channel, college golf is part of the vernacular alongside the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, the champs. It is sort of, okay, yeah, this is where it is, and it's something you love and I love. We get to watch Gordon Sargent because he's going to be a star. He's going to be on the PGA Tour within the next 18 months, more than likely. And we get to know them before anyone else does. And if you're interested, we can introduce you to him or tell a backstory about him or, hey, by the way, you want to know who's the next great female golfer? Well, Rose Zhang mm -hmm. continues to win virtually every event she plays in at Stanford. So that's 20-plus years of doing so much at Golf Channel. It's still something that just fires me up. College sports, whether it's football, hoops, uh, it's pure. It's not as pure as it once was, unfortunately, as we talked about, but it's kids playing for a team, playing for a school, and whether they all don't realize it or not, 99% of them, that's going to be the last meaningful golf they ever play. Yeah, and I think going back to match play, which is the roots of our game, <laughs> it does go back to that. Yeah. I mean, in the Ryder what do we love? We love the team aspect, the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup. We love that aspect. But you mentioned something about the pressure of TV and the cameras being there, being interviewed. Such a great learning uh, for these young people. And it helps them when they go to the PGA Tour. I think that's why we're seeing these young guys come out on the PGA Tour and having some success, don't you? Oh, without, a, without a doubt. It, it's the, um, the apprenticeship on the course, off the golf course. They're so more well-rounded. They're so much better prepared. Uh, and then from a physical talent standpoint, uh, I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, but I, I say to anyone that asks, this generation of 20-somethings on every tour, every level, in my opinion, this is the true Tiger Woods effect. Absolutely. It took 25 years, but he, he created all these guys. And I mean that in the highest sense of, uh, of being complimentary. He came out in 96, hello world, second stock, I'm here to roll you over. Well, that's what Rom's doing. That's what Justin Thomas is doing. That's what Spieth, that's what all these kids out of college saying, I'm not going to the Corn Ferry Tour, no knock on that, or I'm not going to put in my ideas. I'm out here to kick your butt. And that's what I think is overlooked. No, that's in true. All this. And maybe it's not. You know, I, I just think this is, in my opinion, might be the greatest contribution Tiger has ever made and and maybe it's not talked about as much or at least I don't think it is because it's it's in the air it doesn't exist but then if you really wanted to crunch some numbers and we we see it you know Ryder Cup teams oh the average age is 26 and a half 
I guarantee you the average age when you played was 36 and a half. Oh, easily. Not older. Yeah, easily. Easily. And I think it's also the women's game. They've, they watch Tiger. I mean, of course, you got Savory Pock and some of the greats that, that help in the LPGA. But a lot of these kids, boys and girls, they watched it. They learned. They Actually, there's a few, and I, I can't think of their names right now. They watched the videos. They learned their golf swings on YouTube. They're using that. They're watching Tiger Woods. I mean, he did. He had the impact that – and I know, you know, his dad caught flack, but he did. He had as big an impact in the game as anybody, and a lot of it's the way we cover it and everything like that. But I'd never dreamed anyone could compete with Nicholas's records until I saw Tiger Woods. I don't know if we'll ever see anybody match Tiger Woods. It'd be tough to do what he did. But, man, I was covering him when I was working USA Network and watching him play. And, I mean, it was just phenomenal. But the impact that we're seeing now in 2023 is phenomenal on what he's doing. And I think there's no doubt it's the Tiger Woods effect. Well, that's the end of uh, part one with Steve Burkowski, and we appreciate him uh, spending so much time with us, uh, and we appreciate you listening to this podcast, uh, part one uh, with Steve. Uh, special thanks to Steve Azar, as I always mentioned out there. You can find Steve at steveazar.com, and get your copy of Only One Shot. That's by VJ Trulio, available on Amazon. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening today, and uh, we look forward to you listening to part two with Steve Burkowski. Mm-hmm.